Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of True Crime and Horror Time, a Riffing on Horror podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I want to start off by saying that last week, Brian made her podcast debut to, like, everything for the first time ever, and you're getting a lot of positive feedback. How do you like that? It's cool. It's cool? It's cool. Um, We've actually gotten a lot of suggestions for episodes. We've gotten a lot of um, questions and a lot of things that people want to hear us talk about. So that's also something really awesome, I think, as well. Um, you've been told. I've been told that you sound British. Yeah, I read that on Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> um, that was uh, my my good old friend Philip from Drunk with Buds podcast. He thought that, but um, no, I think that we're gonna have a lot of fun once Brand loosens up a bit because she's still, you know, hesitant on doing things. So, and you should have seen the look she just gave me. Anyway, so let's get some business out first. Um, we are officially, at, when this comes out, 10 days away from Sam Haynes Havoc, the Riffing on Horror live event that's happening at 1803 Northeast Avenue in Vineland, New Jersey at the Knights of Columbus Recreation Center. Tickets are $25 for adults, $15 for kids, and $25 online. There will be special guests. There will be raffles. There will be costume contest prizes. We're going to have a food truck outside. All sorts of crazy things are going on. Um, grab bags are going to be available for ticket holders upon entry. And we will be doing five shows that night. And it will be a total from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. Um, Rebecca is going to be doing Murky Monday, Rob and Neo Z side B, Rob and Joshua will be doing that, Horror Wars, Rob and Josh will be doing that, True Crime and Horror Time, Rob and Bran should be doing that, but if Bran has an attitude that night and doesn't want to be in front of people, we have no idea if she's going to be doing it. We'll wing it. We'll wing it. (laughs) And then Riffing on Horror, the main... Attraction, we will be riffing on Halloween 2, um, the original Halloween 2, not Halloween Kills that just came out. So, speaking of Halloween Kills, I told everybody that I would talk about Halloween Kills real quick before we get into the case. Um, I watched it over the weekend. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Brand thought it was disgusting. Because you just so happen to look up at points where he was like ramming pipes in people's necks, and that's gross. Yeah, um, I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but it definitely sets up for Halloween Ends coming out next year, and it was it was really good to me. Um, I liked how they ramped up Michael as a psychopath because. Now the only continuity that matters is Halloween, Halloween 40 years later, Halloween kills, and Halloween ends. That's, that's it. Um, they ramped him up as a complete and total psychopath. He's just like really getting to the grand finale, which is going to be the next movie. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it was a good movie. And I'm really happy with how it was done. I know a lot of people aren't, but hey, that's what happens when you do movies. People just won't be happy all the time. So, let's get into the case, which is the Black Dahlia murder. Not to be confused with the band, the Black Dahlia murder, which is an awesome band. But... If you know anything about this show, which you should because I explained it last week on the debut episode, Bran will be covering the true crime portion. I'll be covering the movie portion, which, yes, there was a movie called The Black Dahlia. And you good over there? Yeah. You got to get closer to the mic. Don't look at me like that. And then after we're done the case and the movie, we will have 
a couple other things to talk about, which will be we've gotten questions actually from a couple fans regarding um, family matters and um, communication. So we'll be dealing with those two <laughs> after we're done the case. <laughs> so go ahead, Bran. Um, give it your best shot. So this is Bran's first official case. No pressure or anything. Yeah. You know, you can move the windscreen if you need more light. It's fine. Okay. You got to get close to the mic. Do it. On the morning of January 15th, 1947, a mother taking her child for a walk in a Los Angeles neighborhood stumbled upon a gruesome sight. The body of a young naked woman sliced clean in half at the waist. The body was just a few feet from the sidewalk and posed in such a way that the mother reportedly thought it was a mannequin at first glance. Despite the extensive mutilation and cuts on the body, there wasn't a drop of blood at the scene, indicating that the young woman had been killed elsewhere. The in- I know, I told you if you needed more light... <laughs> <laughs> the ensuring investigation was led by the L.A. Police Department. The FBI was asked to help, and it quickly identified the body just 56 minutes, in fact, after getting blurried fingerprint, fingerprints via sound photo. Yeah, sound photo. I think it was like an early form of, um, I wrote it down. What does it say? It's an early form of what? Primitive fax machine used That's by it. news services. That's it. From it's, Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. The young woman turned out to be a 22-year-old Hollywood hopeful named Elizabeth Short, later doubled the Black Dahlia by the press for her rumored penchant. Penchant. Penchant? <laughs> for sheer black clothing and for the bl- Blue Dahlia movie out at that time. Right. Short's prints actually appeared twice in the FBI massive collection. More than 100 million were on the file at the time. First, because she was applied for a job as a clerk at the commissionary of the Army's Camp Cook in California in January 1943. Second, 1943 second, because she had been arrested by the Santa Barbara police for underage drinking several, seven months later. The Bureau also had her mugshot in its files and provided to the press. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In support of L.A. police, the FBI ran recording, recordings checks on potential suspects and conducted interviews across the nation. Based on early suspicions that the murders have had, murders may have had skills in... Oh, the murderer may have had skills being a surgeon? Yeah. Skills in dissection because the body was so cleanly cut against where also asked to check out a group of students at the University of Southern California Medical School. And in a tangalizing... Tantalizing? I guess that's what it says. Potential break in the case. The Bureau searches for a match to fingerprints found on an anonymous letter that may have been sent to authorities by the killer, but the prints weren't in FBI's files. 
Right. Who killed the Black Dahlia and why? It's a mystery. The murders have never been found, and given how much time has passed, probably never will be. When Schwartz's death became national news, police officers in Cleveland felt an awkward sense of deja vu between 1934 and 1938. A serial killer had terrorized their city, claiming 12 victims, all of whom were grotesquely... Oh, grotesquely. Dismembered. Ew. (laughs) Some... Theorized. Theorized that the Ohio, Ohio Ohio serial killer and Schwartz murdered could be the same person, especially since the Schwartz killer, the per- what <laughs> perpetrator perpetrator of what came to be known as the Cleveland Cleveland torso murder was never caught. Cleveland torso murder. Wonderful. That's what that sounds like. (laughs) One month after Short's murder, another woman's body was discovered in Los Angeles, and the circumstances mimicked the Black Dahlia's case in a few ways. It all began with a stranger, in this case a construction worker, stumbled upon the naked body of a dead woman in the grass. Jean French had dark hair, like shorts, and her face was also badly beaten. But, but this time there was an unusual message scribbled, mm-hmm. scru- scrawled. scrawled on her stomach in bright red lipstick. Fuck you, BD. Mm-hmm. Just below that was... Just below that were the letters, texts. People were quick to link the BD and the gruesome murder to the Black Dahlia, but the police were wary of officially connecting the two. Like Short's French murder was never solved. The LAPD had to rule out many suspects in the Black Dahlia investigation, including several people who turned themselves in. Through some sources, quote, a lower number of Los Angeles Times put the tally of false confections, confessions in Schwartz's case at more than 500. Now, see, that I want to stop you there. Holy shit, a lot of people came forward to say that they murdered this woman. Like, but why would you do that? Right, I maybe because they wanted notoriety or fame or something. Like I, I don't know. But if they falsely accused somebody, somebody's going to prison for not nothing. Killing. Right, right. I don't understand. That's just why dumb. It is. There's a lot of dumb that happened in this case. Hmm. There really is. There's anyway, a lot of dumb that happens in a lot of cases. There's a lot of dumb that happens every day. <laughs> The phony claims came from housewives, clergymen. Yes. What is a clergyman? Like priest, um, uh, Christian, Catholic, yeah, stuff like that. Clergymen. Huh. That's why robo clergy was called robo clergy. It's you know. Oh. <laughs> now I get it. Ten. That's messed up. Twelve years later. Right. <laughs> so. Soldiers, drunk, ramblers, and such later pranksters who weren't even alive when Short's life was brutally taken. The FBI files on the Black Dahlia case indicated that many men were held up questioning and some even took polygraph tests, but ultimately no one was ever charged with Short's murder. Still a few names stood out. Right. And this is, I I think I actually have those names and I have everything. One of those names is George Hoddle. A. Wait, where's that? 
Oh, it's Hodel. Hodel. Yeah. That's the guy that we were just watching upstairs. Close enough. Right. A physician who ran a <laughs> Vensel Venereal. Yes. Yeah. Venereal. Yummy. Disease <laughs> clinic in Los Angeles in the 1940s. According to the Guardian, Hoddle was on the list of six, whatever, was on the list of six primary suspects in the Black Dahlia case and the LAPD was even bugged, wait, the Black Dahlia case and the LAPD even bugged his home during the investigation. But Hodel, who died in 1999, gained more recent notoriety when his son, Steve Hoddle, Hodel, Hodel accused him of killing Short in the 2003 best-selling book, Black Dahlia, Avenger, The True Story. Steve claims his father's handwriting matches Strange letters the police received supportingly from the killer, supposedly from the killer. He also uncovered photos from a woman who resembles Schwartz in his father's personal photo album and believes Hodel... What? Medical background would explain the... Let me see. Precise. Precise. Clinical cuts on the body. But some have discounted Steve's claim since he started linking his father to another infamous unsolved murders, including the Zodiac Killers. Yeah. That's the Zodiac Killer. That's where it kind of went off the trail for a lot of things when it comes to that. Because I don't remember if I have it written down about how the other woman was killed in the Philippines. I think his father fled to the Philippines. And um, there was a woman murdered a half mile away from his father's house in the Philippines and laid out exactly how Elizabeth Short was. So I don't remember if I have that written down. But, yeah, I wanted to, like, pause right there just in case I didn't because that was something that I think I might have left out. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I am the night the TNT miniseries miniseries centers around Hoddle's Hodel's as, uh, as a prime suspect in the Black Dahlia case. Another name that's popular among Black Dahlia theorists is Leslie Dillon. I guess. I guess so. He appears in the FBI case files, but gains renewed attention in 2017 when another... When an author, Pugh Etwell, argued his guilt in her book, Black Dahlia, Red Rose. <laughs> I love how you just throw the papers over your shoulder. That's fantastic. It's, it's fine. It's <laughs> Dylan was a bellhop writer and mortician's assistant. Uh-huh. Disgusting. Who seemed to know a surprising among amount of details about Short's murder when the LAPD hauled him in for questioning. He was eventually let go thanks to the dirty cop, according to Eatwell. But some of the detectives investigating the case never forgot him. In 2018, Buzz Williams, a retired officer with California... California's Long Beach Police Department and the son of Richard F. Williams, part of the LAPD gangster squad. Yes, that that's a real that's thing. That's a thing? Yeah, that, that's, that's real. But why? Because LAPD, yo. The LAPD is... Whew, there's, there's a lot there. There's, okay. that's, wow. there's too much. 
told Rolling Stone that my dad thought Leslie Dillon was the killer and that other cops suspected that Dillon was, at the very least, an accomplice. The end. <laughs> You're going to throw that one, too? Yep. Okay, cool. Well, that was awkward and weird. That was awkward and weird? Why was that? Because it just was. Okay. Well, I mean, if, if you say so, go off. Um, I am going to be doing the movie portion, obviously. And we have a child walking somewhere around upstairs. Um, okay. So, there was something that I wanted to talk about regarding the actual case, but I forget completely... And I probably shouldn't have. But either way, um, the movie name is The Black Dahlia. Runtime, two hours and one minute. Production companies were Liongate and Signature Pictures. The budget was $50 million. The box office was $49.3 million, so it lost money. And it never gained it back because this movie apparently people don't like. So... Uh, screenplay was by Josh Friedman, directed by Brian De Palma. Cinematography was Vilmos Zygmunt. Release date was September 15, 2006. You can watch it through subscription services like Stars, DirecTV, and you can rent or buy it through Vudu, YouTube, Google Play, Prime Video, Microsoft Store, Redbox, and DirecTV. The ratings for it aren't very good. It's got a 5.6 out of 10 on MDIB, 32% on Rotten Tomatoes, 3.3 out of 5 on Voodoo, and Google users give it a 75%. So it's kind of like a mixed bag, I guess you could say. The Black Dahlia case itself has been on a ton of podcasts. I'm sure I'm some out. But I want to get a big chunk of the podcast names that have covered this previously. Unsolved Murders, Mile Higher Podcast, Cold Case Files, The Murder Squad, Time Stuck, Forensic Tales, True Crime Garage, True Crime and Cocktails, Not Another True Crime Podcast, American Haunting uh, Podcast, Wife of Crime Podcast, Cult Leader, Crime Junkie, Root of Evil, Lights Out, The Last Podcast on the Left, Devious Dads, Medical Murders, and The Black Tapes Podcast. Yowza. That's a lot of people. But this is one of the most infamous cases of all time as well, too, so it's easily understood. Um... The plot of the movie is two cops in 1940s Los Angeles investigate the murder of a Hollywood starlet, and one puts his marriage in jeopardy by obsessing over the crime, while the other becomes involved with a woman from a prominent family who happens to have an unsavory tie to the victim. Related media is The Black Dahlia by author James Elroy. So, so far... They've gotten the scene correct. They've gotten kind of the backstory, I guess you would say, correct. Um, the movie didn't live up to what Brian De Palma wanted it to live up to. But there are some <clears throat> production notes, I guess you would say. There's 45 more on IMDb. And I'm going to be giving 10 here. So David Fincher had originally planned to direct and intended to make a three-hour version shot entirely in black and white. Fincher subsequently left the project, apparently because he doubted that he would be able to make the film exactly the way he envisioned. Now, if Fincher would have gotten a hold of the project, it would have been much better because David Fincher is really, really good at directing. Um, James Elroy's book was based in part on the true story of the murder of Elizabeth Short, an an aspiring actress who'd moved to Hollywood in the mid-1940s from Medford, Massachusetts. A drifter and hanger-on who never managed to break into films, she disappeared in early January 1947. 
On January 15, 1947, her horribly mutilated corpse was found in an empty lot in south-central Los Angeles. Her murderer has never publicly been identified or apprehended. Mia Kirshner was originally intended to be feeding lines to potential actors in screen tests. However, her performance so caught the attention of director Brian De Palma and writer Josh Friedman that she was cast as Elizabeth Short and her role expanded significantly compared to the novel. The screen tests that characters keep watching are not in the James Elroy novel. They were plot they were a plot device created by screenwriter Josh Friedman. The real, uh, the real Elizabeth Short claimed to have screen tested at major studios, but no such footage has ever been found. So that's kind of interesting to me, that she claims to have screen tested, and she's trying to break in, and she's trying to do all this shit, but yet they can't find anything from any studios. So what the fuck was she actually doing? Sus. Right. Super Sus. Um, when Dwight Bucky, I'm going to fuck this one up, Bleichert goes searching through some photographs, you can actually see a real autopsy photo of Elizabeth Short in the movie. Interesting. Right. And they didn't even put Mia Kirshner's face on it. It's actually like Elizabeth Short's. Yeah. Josh Hartnett and Aaron Eckhart both trained for their boxing scenes for seven months in four-hour sessions. Hmm. So they actually had to put a lot of effort into it, and it still didn't look great. Which That's a long time. Right. Um, the book was optioned to be turned into a movie in 1986. It took them 20 years to make the film. Well, I mean... Right. Rose McGowan's character, Cheryl Sadden, appears to be inspired by a real person, one Cheryl Maylond who had shared a room with Elizabeth Short and six other girls. Elizabeth Short is a very hard name to say. <laughs> I don't know why, but when I'm going from one word to another, it's like... Yeah, it runs into each other. Right. <laughs> On the advice of a friend, screenwriter Josh Friedman included the screen tests in order to get the audience insight into the character. Um, and my final thing is Brian De Palma's initial cut ran at roughly three hours and was a faithful adaptation of the book with more time dedicated to Bucky's psychological breakdown during the investigation and his obsession with avenging the Dahlia. James L. Roy was shown a print of this version and wrote an essay praising it entitled The Hill Hikers. The Hillikers? The Hill Ickers, yeah. It was published in reissued prints of the novel, which were released before the film premiered. In the interim between Elroy's having seen the director's cut and the um, publication of his essay, the film was significantly edited. After seeing the theatrical cut, Elroy refused to comment on it except to tell Seattle Post Intelligencer, look, you're not, not going to get me to say anything negative about the movie, so you might as well give up. So the movie was three hours and was extremely faithful to his book and the things that were done. But then they were like, nah, bro, we're going to cut like an hour of this movie down. That sounds sus. Well, it's not necessarily sus. I mean, you got to edit things. Yeah, but I the understand. Brian but... De Palma movies typically run about two and a half to three hours movie uh, to three hours per movie. So I don't know why this one was edited right. down to two hours and one minute. Right. That sounds a little fishy to me. Well, a lot of this case is fishy. You know what I mean? Like they. It sounds to me like somebody knew a little more than they let on. Right. And that's, that's been a running theme from the LAPD back mm -hmm. in the 40s to the doctors to this to that. There's a lot of things about this case where it's like, like that detective that knew who did it but didn't say shit. No, he's not going to. Well, he's dead now. Well, he died in 2018 yeah. or 2019, but he didn't say it. He well, didn't say who it was. You're going to think he's withholding information. Right. I mean, there was a lot. I, I still, I can still say that I think that it was, it was the doctor. Because after everything that was said and done, like, even in, even in the, um, the 
crime scene stuff. They said that her hands were bound and her legs were bound and all that shit. But there was like pieces of her flesh missing. There was very clean cuts all around her. And even though he didn't go to school to be a surgeon, um, that doctor, uh, he breezed through it. Like he did, he did the work. He did do everything that he needed to do. Even though he didn't want to be a surgeon, he still breezed through all that medical training to be a surgeon. So it's like... That sounds weird on its own. Right. Um, I'm going to say the top build cast for this one. It's Mia Kirshner was Elizabeth Short. Josh Hartnett was Dwight Bleichert. Um, Scarlett Johansson was Kay Lake. Aaron Eckhart is Lee Blanchard. Hilary Swank was Madeline Lynn Scott. Fiona Shaw is Ramona Lynn Scott. Mike Starr is Detective Russell, Russ Millard. Troy Evans is Detective Ted Green. Pepe Serna is Thomas Dos Santos. John Cavanaugh is Emmett Lynn Scott. Rose McGowan is Cheryl Sadden. Patrick Fleischer as D.A. Ellis Lowe. Angus McLinnis as Captain John Tierney. Greg Henry as Pete Lukens. Rachel Miner as Martha Linscott. Jemima, or Jemima Ruper as Lorna Mertz. William Finley as George Tilden. Anthony Russell as Maury Friedman. Victor McGuire as Sergeant Bill Cohing. Um, Bobby Brake as Bobby DeWitt. James Otis as Dolph Bleichert. Ian McNeese as the coroner. Uh, Fatso Fazano as the dealer. Claudia Katzminick as the bartender. Steve Easton as detective. Um, and that's pretty much it that I have as a, um, top build cast. Um, even as I am going through the rest of the cast, I don't see anybody that's like named any, that's, that's like plays any of the suspects in the movie. So that's kind of interesting to me. Um, but either way, the case has never been closed, as you said, and nobody thinks it'll ever be closed. Which is weird considering here in 2021, as we record this, there's still like plenty of ways that they can get forensic evidence. As far as I'm, as far as I know, I don't know what happened to her body because I just thought about that. (laughs) So I don't know if her body's gone, if there's anything left, but apparently there was also fingerprints, but they couldn't get them. So I don't know. I don't even know what to think about it. Right. It's it's something that's been around There's for... so many theories. Right, for 60 years. And unfortunately, like I just said, it's going to be one of those things that just never gets solved, I don't think, because it hasn't been actively open in close to 20-some years. Yeah. So it's just a cold case file at this point that they don't even give a shit about. So as far as they're concerned, she was just some woman that was sleeping around trying to get notoriety and mess with the wrong person mess with the wrong crowd yeah more than likely so that is what it is and that is the case of the black dahlia the movie was meh um it hit a lot of the beats i won't say it hit all of them but there's really not many beats to hit in the case to begin with Unless you start going down like red string theories and fucking rabbit holes and all sorts of other crazy nonsense. Because to me, it sounds like they didn't want to do the case. Right. Because the LAPD was so corrupt in the 1940s with like prostitution rings and all sorts of other stuff like that they, they were trying not to touch it. They were trying yeah, it was like they just wanted to sweep it under the rug, especially right. if that doctor, that doctor was such high prominence. He had a venereal disease clinic, so he knew yeah. what all the top stars had, he knew what the prostitutes had, he yeah. knew you know everything. So you want to protect Dr. Hodel at that point. You know? Yeah. So We've got two questions 
that we're going to tackle tonight, okay, this is, this is the um, relationship advice portion. And we also have one that has to deal with kids and spooky stuff. Can we do that one first? Okay. How do you handle or approach soothing a child who is seeing things that aren't there, like monsters mm. or people? And also, talking to things that aren't there. For instance, talking to a painting done by a past relative. That question comes from D. Yes. We're not going to mention names. No, no, we're not. But baby number two is seeing, well, is going up to a painting that H's grandfather did. Okay. An oil painting of the Last Supper. Really? So that would make it baby number two's great-grandfather. Right. And she's going up and saying, pop, pop. When nobody told her that great pop, pop did that painting. Well, maybe great pop, pop is reaching out to baby number two. That's what I told her. It could be. Um, but because baby number two is younger, mm-hmm. you're not going to get really intelligible no. answers. No. Right. Um, you know, and, and the thing is, baby number one's not seeing anything sh- or hearing anything or... Baby number one... Is I older. Is a little older. Right. And may not have that talent. Right. Because some kids are more sensitive than are others. more sensitive than others, correct. Um and even in baby number two's room, H has to go in there. Okay. And clear for monsters. Now I had talked to D. Okay. Earlier before we recorded, so I could get a little bit more insight. Yeah. On baby number two doing that. And um, she said that baby number two hisses and says no, no, no to her room. Really? Right. And the H, and that the, the monster is in her bed. So H has to. Clear for monsters. Now, I suggested to D that maybe she watches shows that deal with what H does for a living. I thought I was just thinking and knows that. that that's a protector. Yeah. So she knows what Daddy does, and Daddy's the only one that can clear because. Of what he does for a living. That's very possible. And D said the same thing, that yeah. she thinks that that might be something, but she doesn't know because... And unfortunately, she may never know. Uh, That's Because if baby number two doesn't have any recollection, Mm-mm. when she gets older... She may lose it. She may lose it, yeah. Because, you know... Yeah. Um... Our Ours, number two. Our number two was susceptible yeah. to that still stuff. Still is. He still is to some point. Um, he has seen mum a couple times, but it's well, not. I've seen mum. Right. Um, but I think that what Dee said that she's going to do is actually kind of funny and cute. She said she's thinking about making a monster spray. Yes. To spray in baby number two's room and yes. on the bed or whatever to give baby number two a sense of relaxation. I just thought of this, D, because um, I know you'll be listening. Why don't you do a lavender mix so okay. that it would soothe baby number two as well? Because lavender's good because for lavender's, sleeping yes, and calming. Calming and all that. So I think... Um, Try to encourage baby number two to vocalize. Um, And if baby number two stops doing it, then 
she stops doing it. Right? Like, I mean, because I don't know how you can stop her from talking to things that aren't there. Because but like that's I, not necessarily saying that it isn't there. But it, it could also be an imagination thing as well. Be. Because yeah. as, as baby number two is growing, um, the, mind. the mind is growing. And I also mentioned that today. Yeah. and all that. And everything starts to become prevalent. Yeah. So that's, uh, I also told that to D earlier. And she's, she's pretty much in agreement of that. Like that could be like the monster aspect. Like her subconscious or there's something playing tricks on her, you know, she just doesn't like it. Now, my question is, is did baby number one ever have this? Now, see, I didn't ask that to D. Because D never mentioned anything about baby number one doing anything like that. Correct. So that's something that D will have to <laughs> answer yeah. in my messages yeah. uh, <laughs> when the episode drops. <laughs> but I'm very curious about the painting. Right. Yes, I am as well. And I wonder if Papa is the one that she thinks the monster is. Now, I don't... I don't know. I don't think so because it doesn't sound like it because it sounds like when she goes to the painting, it's just pop up. So if it's pop up, then she's not going to correlate that with a hissing and no, 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 no. Because pop up sounds, you know, yay. Yeah. And monster sounds no. (laughs) Like, so... I mean, they've been there long enough that baby number one would have sensed something if baby number one was capable, I believe. So. See, me and Dee are going to have to have a side conversation. Because <laughs> I got some questions. And um, maybe we can continue this story. <laughs> to be continued. To be continued, because I... That's really all I can say it, with the monster thing. Um, do the monster spray and make it like a lavender and mix. And pay attention to baby number two because if there's really serious emotions and baby number two is have starting to have anxiety, right? you might want to take baby number two out of that room until you figure out what's going what's on. What's going on, right. Correct. Okay. So we good with that answer? Yes. Okay, now <laughs> here comes the other question. Now I have anxiety. Thank right. you very much, Dee. <laughs> the other question is: How do you guys keep communication open with one another through periods where life is extremely hard and you feel like it's deeply personal? That's from Cleo. Oh, hi, Cleo. Right. Um, you want to give the answer that you gave before? <laughs> before no communication. We... Just wing it. Just. <laughs> Shut the fuck up and wing it. Shut the fuck up and wing it. No. um, Honestly, there's times where it's really rough to communicate. It is. And you shut down and you don't talk and it's hard. And it lingers. Yeah. And it makes it worse. Um, But I, I think because one of us knows when the other's breaking point is, we kind of, um, we kind of nip it in the bud before, Before it becomes it gets to that point. Right, because we've had plenty of issues in the past. We're not a perfect couple. We're, you know, we have the same issues as everybody else. Everybody else. You know, um I just think that the the reason why we work as well as we do is because we know each other so well. Mm-hmm. And it may be annoying to some people, and, and this is where I think a lot of relationships fall apart. If I know there's something wrong with you, I continuously badger you until you fucking break down and tell me what's wrong with you. Because and you, you know do, I will. And you do the same thing to me. Yeah. But uh, there's but a lot... We know when to stop, But though. there's a lot of couples out there that don't know their significant other like that. Uh, you know what I mean? They don't know... Okay, there's something wrong, and if they're saying, no, I'm good, they're going to just leave it alone. Yeah. And then the significant other is going to build up and build up and build up and build up and have all these fucking issues, and it's going to become an even bigger issue. Well, that goes along with paying attention to the person that you're with. Right, exactly. You've got to pay attention to them. You've got to know them. 
genuinely care for them because if you don't, then you're not going to get that level of connection, mm-hmm. I don't think. And and I think that's where a lot of issues really start to show their head. Yeah. Especially when you do get financial issues or you do have um, connection issues and stuff like that. Because people don't take the time to get to know each other anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge problem. Like we come from that last generation before the swipe right and swipe left. Yes. So we yes. we had the chance to know each other before the right and left. Right. And um we took a lot of time t- texting each other. Boy, you know. We. <laughs> and, Thank you, Rob. Right. Uh after 7 p.m. on weeknights and unlimited on the weekends. Right. Um, Cuz that's how the cell phone <laughs> worked back then. <laughs> that was singular wireless. Um, <laughs> thank you, AT and T. Thank you, AT and T. Uh, but no, like we we were that, and I, and it's becoming more seen. I think we were that last generation that like I, like picked up for dates. Yeah, because I don't think people like pick each other up for dates they anymore. Just meet. They just meet at places because yeah. because now it's like okay you don't know you're you're swiping right and you're connecting with these people but you don't know if they're a fucking serial killer right or you know <laughs> do you know how many people I've told don't end up in a dumpster don't end up I'm in a dumpster climbing in after right. you exactly you said that like a couple nights ago I did right <laughs> so it's just it's crazy to think about like a lot of people nowadays want that connection and they want long lasting relationships, but they don't know how to fucking do it. And it's it's crazy. It's sad and it's crazy because people want it, but they don't know how to do it, to do it. Like, because they just rely on fucking so much that when they finally get to a point where they don't don't, know exactly what that connection is. I don't think a lot of people know what emotions are nowadays, to be honest with you. Like like what genuine emotions are. Um, So yeah, I think the best... Pay attention. Pay attention. That's, That's really the best way... Keep and communication if you don't going. Want to pay attention to the person that you're with, then you need to really think about if you really want to be with that person. Right, because then that person's going to start paying attention to somebody else, and then you're going to have a whole different set of issues. Yeah, a lot. So, I think that's that's a pretty good answer, right? Like, just I, I, it's cut and dry. Pay attention. And understand. I don't think I it. It, it is what it right. Is. You really just got to understand who you're with, you know. And that's that's pretty much what it boils down to. Um, a lot of people have their guards up because, as they should. As because, they should, right? You know, you never know, right? And it's hard for a lot of people to let people in. So I'm not saying to go out there and let your guard down. <laughs> so no, people can hurt you. But that's the reason why you need to get to know somebody and right. pay attention. Right, right, exactly. So I think that's I think that's good. I think that's a good answer. I'm happy with it. Um, if you have any Cleo, questions. if you want to sidebar me, <laughs> feel free. If anybody has any questions or any um, thing that they want advice on or anything that they just want to talk about or shoot the shit on ask if we believe in bigfoot whatever have you i don't hit <laughs> hit us up at true crime and horror time it's and for that true crime and horror time at gmail.com we also have our own instagram true crime and horror time on instagram which we fucking got a lot of people mm-hmm. on there already because the true crime community is insane. Um, <laughs> Which is scary. Right. I'm getting more interactions on true crime People and horror time. People just don't kill anybody. It, right. You know, it's not worth it. It's a lot of mess. <laughs> just don't do it. I, I think we got to end there. <laughs> I think that's perfect. Just don't true. kill anybody. Just don't. All right. My advice for the night. Okay. All right. Well, we will be back next week. We don't know what case and movie we're covering next. You lost a slipper. I did. I'm sad. Right. 
Okay, so for True Crime and Horror Time, I'm Rob. I'm Bran. And we will see y'all next week. Bye. Later. Calling all freaks, weirdos, outcasts, ghouls, and lonely souls. Music's Metaphor is chillingly pleased to bring you the Lonely Souls Virtual Festival on Saturday, October 23rd at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Join us for the first annual Mental Health Halloween Music Festival. The spectacular event will feature independent artists from the USA and beyond. For Depression Awareness Month, we hope to encourage and empower people who might be feeling afraid, anxious, depressed, or alone this fall. Special VIP $5 tickets will give a Halloween bag for a child in need in Orange County, California. No tricks, just treats. Get your tickets at musicsmetaphor.com. Hi friends, I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. We are Podcast by Proxy, a Canadian true crime podcast. Our primary focus is Canadian cases, but sometimes we travel south of the border and love listener suggestions. Join us every Tuesday where we talk about some of the not-so-polite Canadians. You can find us at Podcast by Proxy wherever you listen to your podcasts and on all social media platforms. So his employer eventually finds out about his criminal past, though, and releases him from employment. He gets a job selling hot dogs on Main Street for a while before he lands a permanent job as a salad maker for G&G Foods, and he worked, like, late overnights at this job. So this guy literally tossed salads for a living? Correct. Okay. A murderous (laughs) salad tosser. (laughs) Oh, lordy.